For all beings, wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. So, what shall we do tonight? practicing being awake. But I would like to um, uh, enter into uh, number two. If you, unless you, I like, always love hearing your questions, but if you could uh, clear, where it says clear, let's clear some space under it. Clear. And you've got this list of ten, I, I hope. Yes. I pray, I hope. Questions? Anybody have any anything? Observations? Questions? You could say that all thoughts are real. But uh, like, like body phenomena, you could, you could go around, I'll get to that, but you could go around making a catalog, as some people do, uh, who practice, of, well, this is my liver, and this is my kidney, and this is, you know, doing a catalog, this, this muscle. It's not important, really. Uh, what's important is the arising and passing away of sensation. In the same way, it's not really important to make a catalog of, of any thoughts, just to know there's thought and to know where there's a general category of thought. So we'll get to that. It's the, it's the, it's, you know, the beautiful thing about thousands of years of practice is that people sort things out what's efficient, what's not efficient, what's a waste of time. And long lists, these are not long lists, by the way. For people that can memorize, these are not long lists. These are short lists. But long lists of emotions or long lists of states, um, when you're practicing meditation, are not always necessarily very useful, especially repeating ones, variations on theme. Sometimes you only need a few things, and it gets the message home. Uh, another way of saying that is the, the more pristine the mind, the simpler is the message. So we'll come to that. Any others? Yes. And that was tonight? Very good. Very good. I got something to that really quick. This morning driving here, Ode to Joy was on the radio. Ode to Joy. Anybody else anybody else have some magically auspicious
You know you can, you can find auspicious things if you're in a good frame of mind every day for all kinds. I was doing that with when I'm working with students. Right? See, that's auspicious and that's auspicious. And look at that. Sun's coming up, that's suspicious. Sun's going down, that's suspicious. Look, there's clouds coming, that's suspicious. It's raining, it's blessings, it's suspicious. Any others? <laughs> I don't know what's suspicious, but it's pretty neat to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think that awakening is that long distance away and so much hard work. Mm-hmm. But I realize that you can have those awake moments. Yep. And so it's not like till I get there. Something like that. That's pretty neat. It is pretty neat. That's good. It's great. As I said, that's recognizing that the fruit uh, of the path is already in the path. And uh, that also, that also, that's, also re- that's also a reason why there are teachers teaching why they get out in public and repeat things is for you to recognize actually not just what's wrong with you but what's what's right with you. This is important that you you get to hear. You know, actually you've got some good things going. And you might even recognize every once in a while, every decade or so of practice of liberation, just kidding, uh, that, that some really good positive qualities have developed. Some good awake moments have happened and more are happening. And as a matter of fact, there might even be, um, you might go, you know, having pretty good days. Mm-hmm. Any others? Hmm. It's all clear, yes? It's all clear? Yes. I can understand a, an imagined body sensation, but an imagined thought, I, I can't understand what that would be. That's a complicated mind. <laughs> <laughs> imagine, you know, imagining that you're thinking. <laughs> I wonder if I'm thinking. And what would that be like? <laughs> Over-intellectualization. Wonder about the nature of emptiness. You know, sort of, sort of, sort of layer upon layer upon layer. But, you know, we'll, we'll tease tease that out as to actually what 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 is important, what constitutes important. You could even say that all sensation is phantom too, is illusory. But it's important. It's important to uh, pick uh, themes and pick uh, a target. That's a worthwhile target. As I've said many times, I might, sometimes I feel I'm repeating myself uh, quite often, maybe not this, this retreat or this um, series of teachings. Uh, but one of the, I, I believe, I've never heard this, but uh, I believe one of the duties of a uh, Dharma teacher uh, or certainly one's root teacher is to help you ask the essential questions. That's a good mentor. A good mentor is to help you find out what are really good questions and not stray into sidetracking. You can spend spend the rest of your life sidetracking into, they're okay, they're questions. But what you really want to do is keep hearing what are profoundly deep questions that get you somewhere. 
or another way of saying this is a teacher helps you ask essential questions. Find them in yourself. Dredge them up so you actually ask a profoundly deep question that moves you as opposed to a little question that only takes you so far. That it? Okay. Let us, let us carry on. So the, this word body doesn't just mean this body. It's a, it's a bigger word than that. The word in Pali is kaya, K, long A, Y, A, kaya. And body means embodiment. It doesn't just mean a physical body. But I want to leave it there. It's one of those big words. It just doesn't just mean a physical body. But it really does mean embodiment of some quality. It's better to think about a body not so much as a thing, but as a rich sensorial experience continually moving and changing as opposed to a thing with multiple layers of experience. It's much closer to the truth. Is is layer upon layer upon layer of experiential understanding is a body, not a thing. Now, uh, this afternoon I mentioned something about the inner, the inner life. And I've also mentioned the word, uh, our acupuncture meridians. I've mentioned nerves and so on and wind. But um, when one has sensations, sensations can travel. They seemingly can travel. You can put, pick up cords of sensation. You can pick up lines of sensation. You could put movement in your body. Some people use the word vibration. Ever felt vibrations in your body? Felt movements going up, movements going down, movements going sideways. Currents. Some people talk about currents of energy and so on. These are all physical sensations. It's better to... I think it's it's time. Some of us got out of this mystical uh, terminology into a little bit more something substantial called sensation sensation. But you can have fine sensations that are very profound, but hard to pin down. Really tough to pin down. And maybe not even, maybe not even visible yet to medical science. Certainly in the case of acupuncture meridians, it's been a tough, uh, tough one to pin them down. Okay? And yet, there's people that use them all the time, quite successfully. Works. So the the greater the sati, the greater the mindfulness, the greater the range of sensations one picks up in this appearance called a body, 
until one begins to go into sensations merging with uh, what we would normally call a mental quality. So think about it as a, as a range. You could draw a range from uh, mental to phys or physical to mental. Yeah, physical to mental phenomena, mental events. And sometimes it's not so easy to distinguish what is mental and what is physical. So let me give you some expressions. Maybe you can help me. My energy's off. Mental or physical? My energy's off. My energy's on. I'm happy. Would you say physical or mental? mental? Or both? But sometimes it's just a happy feeling, a happy feeling, and it feels like a mental event, but you don't feel the physical. How about today I'm blissful, or this hour I'm blissful? Mental or physical? See? Mental. Which one? Is blissful, physical, or mental? Let's forget your training in Abhidhamma and meditative it discipline. Total? Hmm? Total. Could be. Can we have a vote? Yeah, let's have a, let's have a vote. Let's have a vote. <laughs> Would you say blissful is mental or physical? If it's the way you said it, today I'm feeling blissful, that's a thought to how blissful you're feeling, so it's both. Could be. Like <laughs> you said, feeling. Feeling. Now, ah, so if you say feeling, do you mean by feeling mental or physical? You think it's a trick question. No, it is a trick. You say feeling and actually you mean thinking. Like or people, people get they confused. <laughs> well, if you say sensation, that's different. But if you say feeling, then that comes into the emotion and that it's both. Physical feeling, sensation. So we need, we need a bridge for both. Pardon? But we need a bridge. We need a bridge for both. And we have there's a word that bridges both, but is considered more on the mental than the physical, because it's very, very subtle. Even though you'd say it's very, very gross, it's quite subtle. And that there's a word for it, which I'm going to be careful about using a translation. And that word in Pali is vedana, which really means video. It's kind of interesting. It does. That's where our origin of our word video comes from, is vedana in Pali and Sanskrit, which means to feel, which, which actually comes from to see. Vid, V-I-D, which is the root of video, means to see. But it actually has to do with a feeling quality of the mind which borders on the physical but is not so obviously physical. Okay. Let me explain. So when it comes to something like bliss or joy, physical or mental, or both, you say both. Elated mind and elated body. Okay. So we need something to describe this. Now then you'll say, okay, can you give me words? Let's, let's write some words on there of 
of the range of mental feeling. I'm not talking about so much, well, we could say emotions, but mental feelings. Joy? I'll, I'll start off. Joy. Let's start off with something positive. Joy. Anything else? Dullness. Dullness? I knew that would come out. Number two. Agitation. Agitation. Curiosity. Curiosity. Happiness. Happiness. Yes. Loving kindness. Loving kindness. Any others? You have any other feelings? Anger, frustration. Anger, yeah, frustration. Foggy? Jealousy. Pardon? Jealousy. Jealousy? Sleepy? Sadness. <laughs> Giddiness. Giddiness? Fear. Fear. Anxiety. Carry on. Come on. Pardon? Equanimity. So greed? Equanimity, sure. Greed. Yep. Excited. Flamboyance. Ardent. Ardent. Enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. Repungent. Passionate. Passionate. Repulsive. Repulsive. Lust. Lust. He's a very good speaker. He's fast. He's a very fast. He's a very the old text, loathsome. Loathsome. Pride. Pride. Integrity? Is that a... Yeah, sure, why not? Integrity. Maybe proud. proud. Grief. Rectitude uh, of spirit. Righteous. Righteous. Oh, righteous. Mirth. Mirth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Melancholy. Love? Love? Did I hear love? Peeved. Can you explain? Stunned. Stunned. Stunned peeved. Stunned and peeved. Mythed. Bewildered. Out of sync. In sync. Clear. Clear. Okay, these are all wrong. 
Oh, poor Raphael. <laughs> but they're good. Thanks, Raphael. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> now, here's, here's something. If you were to now begin to identify these states that arise in your consciousness, what would you be spending all your time doing in meditation? You'd be naming them, naming, 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 thinking about them, naming. Is that now? Is that mirth? Or is that you know? Mifter peeved. Yeah, yeah. Now some some people do that. Some people do that. But when it comes to the when it comes to the feel, see this is why I want to get away from feelings. When it comes to the tone of mind. These are really states of mind. We need to talk about the tone, the energy tone, the energy sensation of mind and body that's a little finer, finer than body sensation, but is the overall mental sensation. You see? Because we've missed that. We've jumped to states. What, let, me, let me give you an example. In the room, you are like states. What's the atmosphere like in the room like right now? The, at, the overall atmosphere in the room in which the states are appearing. This is foreign to most people's experience. What's, what's, what's it like? So, so now you want, you want to describe, is it spacious? No. Calm. Calm, no. Disag- we have a disagreement about this. Joyous, elated. But you see, now we're going back into all these words. But, but if, we just, if we want to describe the overall tone of a space, let's get, let's get simple enough to meditate on it. So you see, the Buddha and the early insight meditators were actually quite certain. These are too many words. There's too much description here. We need to reduce it down to some elemental qualities that one can meditate on and not get bewildered and not get too confused. So what they decided on is they wanted the tone of mind, the tone. And they decided three tones is enough for insight meditation. Three tones. So look at all those. How would you reduce that down to three? Oh, you studied Buddhism too much. Did you, did you say uh, Somanasa, Domanasa, and Upeka? That's what, I thought, that's what I thought you said. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral? It's pretty good. Yeah, open, closed, neutral. Tone, tone. So the word, when it's... Tra- I don't, here's, listen... The word Vedana got translated early on to feeling. <laughs> so what do, when we think of feeling, what do we immediately associate feeling with? What other word? Emotion. So if we use the word feeling, automatically it means emotion. It does not mean that. The next foundation is not emotion. The next feeling is the tone of mind that bridges the physical and the mental. 
the atmosphere of the mind. That, flat, flat, that, that can be tough for people because they want a word that's more concrete like peeved or happy or joyous, but they've skipped the atmosphere in which all these states arise in, of which there's only three qualities. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. Now, isn't that, isn't that pretty easy to meditate on? Mm-hmm. Right now is the tone of your mind, the tone of your experience. Instead of saying mind, is the tone of the experience pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Oh, well, you know, it's a little bit pleasant and a little bit... No, right now, is it pleasant or unpleasant? Can you spot it? It's like saying, well, it's kind of halfway between a robin and an eagle. I can't quite decide between a robin and a hummingbird. No, no, is it a robin or a hummingbird? Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Could you imagine going through this? Well, that's next. But you might not have the training for that. Can you describe the atmosphere in the room right now? One word. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And has it just shifted? Yes. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So in the same way, when a body sensation arises, in tradition of insight meditation, how many body sensations are you going to describe? Three. They only use two. Two body sensations, and that's it. You come to any more to a teacher and they'll throw you out of the room. Pleasant, unpleasant. Actually painful and pleasurable. That's it. So here's a question for you. Do you ever have a neutral body sensation? A neutral body sensation. Have you ever found one? It's just when you can't decide, right? Very good. So the purpose is not to make it complicated. The purpose is to give, in the tradition of insight meditation for for liberation, the minimum required to find out what's going on. It's not about taxonomy. How many parts of the body do you want to label and identify? How many do you think you can do? Do you want 32 classic parts? How about 48? 51? 203? 5,000? 10,000? How many parts do you want to label? It won't, get you any, it won't get you any further. Because what did I mention is, as the insight part of the body? The arising and the passing away of a sensation. So you don't need to make it complicated, do you? If all phenomena arises and passes away, you don't need to make this too complicated. What happens to all mental tones of mind? Is the atmosphere of this room stable? Does it last forever? Does it last for more than a day? Does it heat up? Does it cool down? Yes. Is the air quality go up? Does the air quality go down? Yes. Does the particulate quality in the room go up? And does it go down? Yes. Matter of fact, quite quickly. 
up, down, up, down, yes? What about the tone of your mind? What about the atmosphere, sorry, of your experience? Does it change? Or is it always the same? So you see the question? The question is, can you discern, can you determine what is the atmosphere of your experience that all this is happening in? I don't know if you get where it's leading now. All experience is happening in a field, in a space of the mind. Is it clicking? All experience is happening in the space of this room, but we never notice the room. We notice particulars, taxonomic particulars in the room. Fred, Mary, Sarah, Susan. You see? But we don't actually feel the embedded nature of the room. What's the tone of mind? What song are you singing? You're singing an opera. No, want to know the tone of the opera. Is it a happy opera? Is it an unpleasant opera? Is it a neutral opera? We don't need any more. You see, so what does the human conscious do? Well, it's an aria from La Traviata. We don't need to know that for liberation. We need to know whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Yes, you see, but it's a very clever opera from such and such. We don't need that. Just like we don't need to know that our happiness comes from that part of our brain and we can label it. Is it making sense? We don't need to know that the pain appears to be in such and such muscle in the calf. All we need to do is say unpleasant and watch it change. It's very clever when someone says to me, comes in for a meditation interview, say, you know, oh yes, I'm discerning better body sensation. I'm having uh, a, a pain and then it changes in my latissimus dorsi. As if they're very, very clever. And they usually can't point to their latissimus dorsi anyways. And I said, it's, actually, it's over there. But they like the word. Very good. Especially when they point to their stomach. It's really great. Yeah, I've got this thing happening in my stomach. Or when they get the heart, you know, the heart over here. Am I really going on in my heart? Well, occasionally there's hearts over here, but I've got some But that doesn't help. What's the flavor of the experience right now? That's what's important. And can you experience it in flux, changing and shifting? Or is it have been the, the same experience all day long? Well, okay. Today was not such a good day. No, tell me more about it. Was it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? What do you mean it just wasn't nice? It's called no discernment. You mean nothing happened that was... I've had that with students. You mean nothing happened that was pleasant today? No, nothing. Well, tell me about things. And I find out, yes, you see, and then there was this morning, oh, yeah, I was like in a Dewa realm. Everything was glowing, the trees were brilliant, but, but it was kind of, kind of sad. Yeah, but how about this morning? Oh, yeah. As if the whole day is what's happening right now. How many changes of experience have happened today? Tones of mind have happened. How many have you, how many have you gone through? 
Can you, have you counted them? Do you want me to give you a classic exercise to hone your mind of counting each breath in the day for a 24-hour period and, tell, and report back how many there are? That will tone you up. There is an exercise like that. You know. <laughs> then, you'll, then we know you have really good mindfulness when you've counted every single breath in a 24-hour period. And you can say it's... How much is it? Do you know? Are you curious? And then do you have to start over? Oh, no, you have to, you, you, we need replication. So it, it has to be at least for seven days. Oh. Well, actually, for good, for good stats, uh, I would want to see at least over 50. And if it's really, really good, I'd want 400 uh, days. Because 400 days would only be a 10% inaccuracy. In that. Yeah. Is that about right, I think, Matt? Yeah, it's my, my statistician. It's my backup statistician. But you know, for biomedical research, really low, really low quality, right? It's so low quality. Oh my God, 12 samples. 15 samples. God, we had 12 patients and we based all of our 12 patients. Okay. Biology a little better. 400. Couldn't you just do like an hour and then multiply? <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> but it could change, just like making coffee. Right, you start the, grind, the grind has to be changed at least sometimes three, four times a day. You know? So if you don't observe it during the day, you don't know. Because you know the teacher's going to say to you, yeah, but what about, what about at 9 o'clock at night when you fell asleep? Could have been completely different. How do you know? <laughs> That's what you'd say to the teacher. Hurry. So who's counting? There's nothing there to count. So before we come to states of mind, all these descriptions of states of mind, where is it happening? What's the space, the tone, and the space, and the sound? of the experience. Because for most of us, that tone doesn't seem to change much. And yet, it changes very rapidly. So without enough discernment, without enough mindfulness, you'll never know that the space in which uh, uh, phenomena appear and, and disappear is actually changing. It feels constant. I'm sad all day. Yeah. You sure it was all day? Oh, well, maybe three quarters. Well, let's recollect it. Actually, it turns out it was something that happened during lunchtime and someone stepped on your toe and you're pissed off for the rest of the day. Does that sound familiar? Something happened when I woke up, I looked at my uh, email messages and I was pissed off for the rest of the day. Really? The whole day? Well, maybe not the whole day. How much of the day? I like having these discussions with students sometimes. How much today? Well, um, I don't have a clue. <laughs> Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. That's all you need. So the Buddha said, Ananda recorded with a digital tape recorder, an Olympus digital tape recorder. He said... That's a joke. It's a lame joke because nobody's... <laughs> Contemplation of Vedana. Vedana and Upasana. 
And how, monks, does a monk abide contemplating Vedana as Vedana here, a monk? Uh, I say feeling, a pleasant feeling. Here, a monk uh, uh, discerning a pleasant Vedana knows that he feels a pleasant Vedana. Feeling a painful Vedana, he knows he feels a painful Vedana. Those words technically is uh, somanasa for pleasant, domanasa for unpleasant, and neutral uzapeka. I prefer not to use these terms because they're usually used for the body. Um, And then feeling a feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant. He knows that he feels a feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant. And uh, in the, some of the early texts, they went further and talked about a non-sensual feeling, a sensual feeling, and combined it in different ways. So you notice that every time it's about the uh, Vedana, or the mental tone, it's a knowing. Knows. Knows. What's knows? Notes the quality, clearly and distinctively. How can you do that if the mind is so busy with fantasy and isn't clear and sparkly? Can't do it. Can't be done. It's very confused. It simply doesn't have the resolution. Do you know what resolution is? If I use the word resolution, do you know what that is? It's not a fuzzy word. What is resolution? It's really cool. And resolution is a good word to use when it comes to meditation for mindfulness. Clarity? Clarity, but... Dots are up there on the board. Quickly, it's not a Zen question. How many dots? Two. 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 Thank you. Dots. Who's back there with um, was it twenty fifty vision, something like that? How many dots? Sure. Are <laughs> you just going? Oh, I'm not sure. How many dots? Okay, let's have a vote. How many would say two dots? How many would say one dot? How many would say three dots? Two dots. Resolution not too bad. How many dots? Looks like one. How many is it? Let's have a vote. Two dots or one? 
Go take a look. Go take a look, Nancy. This is about resolving it, right? It's called resolving power. One or two dots. I would say there's just two. <laughs> but it sure looked like over there there was a little faint line. I was hallucinating, I think. Two? How many? How many dots? How many entities? How many entities? <laughs> How many dots? Resolving power is to separate out things. How well can you separate out things get closer and closer and closer together? Right? So if they're very close together and there's low resolving power or they're similar to each other, the, the vision or the consciousness or the detecting blurs them together and they seem like they're seamless. With high resolving power, what happens? They separate out, and all of a sudden you realize they're a completely different structure. That's the definition of resolving power. A low-resolution microscope sees things as the same structure. Higher resolution, all of a sudden you go, it's a different structure. It wasn't one house, it was two houses. It wasn't one roof, it was actually a series of five roofs. If you have low resolution power of mindfulness, what happens? Everything becomes a blur. A day is a blur. It's all the same. My day was a sad day. I had a lovely, happy day. Did you have anything else? No, just a happy day. Most of the time, for Westerners, it's what? An unhappy day. No, I mean if they're describing it, right? If it's a happy day, they don't say anything. Hi. Yeah. But my God, was that awful. It was a shameful, horrible day. Huh? I'm getting thespian here. Oh, thespian. But people do that, don't they? But what, what, what are they showing? They're showing a very low level of resolution of consciousness that can discern different features that happen as in the space of the mind. So it becomes a big blur. And that's a lack of training. Not because the person's a bad person, it's a lack of training. The greater the resolving power, the richer the internal and external environmental experience. Does that make sense? It's like walking into a room and you say, oh, there's one tonka. One tonka, and you walk out. But you may have missed 15 tonkas. So you're saying, well, 
who cares? But the point is there's all kinds of mental phenomena and physical phenomena happening that are missed with low resolving power. Like a very weak, it's like, excuse me, I know it's on a microphone, it's like buying a cheap children's Tasco microscope made with plastic lenses where everything over 100 times magnification is fuzzy. And yet they sell it. Here, here's a thousand times magnifying power for a kid's microscope, except you can't see anything, except for fuzz. Well, that's what they commonly sell. As if the higher magnification power is, is useful. It's not useful whatsoever. So with a blurry, distracted, fuzzy mind that seems to be normal because that's what's considered to be normal by society, the whole mental experience has low resolving power and a lot is missed. Matter of fact, a huge amount is missed. Sensations last a long time. Feelings go on and on and on. My life is a series of my life. Do you see? Self-referencing. All kinds of stuff is missed. So mindfulness is absolutely essential for liberation because unless there's a high degree of resolving power, you can't do any research. Does this make sense? You don't have an instrument that can actually do some investigation. Yet you think you do because you're a human being. Is that like the same as that all black people can dance? No, I once, I once got that. I came down from the Canadian Arctic uh, after introducing um, art, um, formal art programs in the Canadian Arctic for the first time. And I'd meet some gallery dealers that tell me, you know, well, you don't need to do this because all Inuit are naturally artistic. It's born into them. Really. It's a gene that gets passed on from, from family members and they're all like all Italians. I know all Italians can make pizza. It's, it's, it's inborn. And they all sing opera. Isn't that right? And make really good cappuccinos. Right? They, all, they all do it. Part of the culture. It's just like in their symbol. Somehow, you're born a human being and you feel you're pretty clever about who you are. With what kind of resolving power? A Tasco, a Tasco kid's microscope that has blurry lenses? Does that make any sense? Make any sense? Where's the training? Oh, I went to university. I went to grad school. So what? I studied Merleau-Ponte. And Hegel. See what that does when you're in a room for a week by yourself without a book. <laughs> I've seen it. You think I'm joking. I've seen very well-trained intellectual professors crack up being by themselves. Although they're well-studied all about neurophysiology and all about psychology. But when it comes to being by themselves and looking Watch out. Doesn't help a bit. Why? There's no resolving power. Good intellect, 
no resolving power. Intellect is not the same as resolving power. It's not going to help you. It's very good when it comes to intellectual matters, but it doesn't help you resolve actual physical sensation and mental phenomena. Doesn't. As a matter of fact, a sheep herder in 12th century Tibet, or yak herder in 12th century Tibet, may have a much higher ability of resolution of the mind than somebody at a university. I'm not putting down academics, by the way, because that's a different thing. But just because you're a Westerner and you have a high school or junior high school or university education is not the same training as discerning physical uh, and mental phenomena at this level. This is a training. This is like playing a musical instrument. It's just not taught here in the West. You don't learn this at school. You learn how to make a blur at school by giving names to things. And because we're given names for things, we think we know what it is. This is how we're trained. Is this making sense? Because I read that book, I know what it means. I get this all the time, a bunch of Buddhists. Yeah? I read that Buddhist book, I know what this means. Reading a book on neurology is not the same as doing lots and lots and lots of dissections. Looking at a brain really closely. Day after day after day after day after day after day after day. Studying a meditation textbook is not the same as meditating. Right? Studying astronomy without actually going and doing it is not the same thing. Reading a science textbook is nothing like working in a laboratory or doing natural sciences in the field. Nothing at all. And yet we've grown up in a culture where the book and the word gives us a feeling as if we know something. How about Google News now? You Google something or a headline, you read it and you think you know something about, about it. So-and-so will not step down from power. Know all about it. You know, I'd be good. Cole's Notes. <laughs> Cole's notes of experience. So compacted in a very short text like this, compacted in a very, very short text like this, it must be uncompacted. Each line is compacted experience. One has to actually do it. These folks worked on it for a long time direct experience to come up with these, these one-liners. It's pithy. Why is it pithy? Based on a lot of experience. And reducing it down to the essentials so it's not complex. It doesn't have to be complex. Okay. So the second foundation of mindfulness is Vedana, which is pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. 
tone of the mind, feel of the mind, not feeling as we know it, feel of the mind, the atmosphere of the mind. It's not the third foundation? No, it's the second. Um. Yeah, second. So how does this come about? How would you know, what would be your reference standard if the reference standard for the first one, kāyunupasana, body, is a full body of breath, a full body pervaded by sensation, what would be the reference standard for, for Vedana? Bless you, Barry. A clear, pleasant mind. A sustained, clear, pleasant mind is the foundation for discerning the changes within that atmosphere. You need some reference standard. And depression is not, long-term depression is not a good reference standard. Okay? It doesn't work that way. Dullness is not a good reference standard. You need a clear, sharp, open, loving tone to discern the changes within that. Okay? Not the other way around. It doesn't work. He abides contemplating arising phenomena in the feelings, vanishing phenomena and both arising and vanishing phenomena in the feelings. Or else mindfulness that there is vedana, there is feeling, mental, mental tone present. Just the extent necessary for knowledge and awareness. No more, no less. You don't have to make it complicated. It's pretty simple, isn't it? It's kept really fundamental. This is high meditation. This is high meditation. But it's not, it's not made complex. It was stripped down so for purposes of getting the work done for the extent, here it is here in the text again, just, this is by the way the Buddha's words, 2,500 years ago, very good memorizers. That's what they did. After class, if this was, I'm not, I'm not even making a comparison. If this was the Buddha teaching or a very, very famous or very accomplished teacher, then normally the students 2,000 or even, even 1,000 years ago, they didn't have paper, would go away after class and work with one of the senior students and they would repeat the class. And the class would get handed down orally, verbatim. Today, these classes are still repeated 2,500 years later verbatim. And every 50 years, and there's a big council every 500 years, they're checked by about 150 to 500 monks get together who are experts in this, and they carry the oral tradition, and it's checked verbatim. And it's been done for 2,500 years. The typos in the, the word, it typos in the written get thrown out, not the verbal. It's more accurate. I've met some of these folks. Totally perfect memory of volumes of texts which they practice their entire life and have to recite and get checked. That's what's been done for 2,500 years. So when I, when I say that's what the Buddha said, I've met people that carry on the tradition 
of that verbatim. Isn't that interesting? A verbatim. That's not part of our tradition today. I certainly can't do that. It's amazing. I had a, a professor at university who was an Abhidhamma Pitaka scholar, and uh, he wouldn't have any text with him. None. He was from Sri Lanka, and we were doing a kind of a graduate seminar on, on the Abhidhamma, and when you'd ask him a question, he'd go like this. Nine, nine volumes of the Abhidhamma Pitaka. And he'd just quote verbatim from a certain page and say, okay, here's your answer. Anywhere within that. So when I say that's what the, the Buddhist said, <laughs> and I mean it. I don't mean it because I'm being a Buddhist. I'm meaning it because that's actually the tradition. When the Buddha said, uh, just to the extent necessary for knowledge and awareness, insight, wisdom, and awareness, that's what he meant. Why? Because he said that. <laughs> And it's not someone interpreting it. It's, it's actually what he said. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. And that, monks, is how a monk abides contemplating Vedana as Vedana, as feelings as feelings. The atmosphere in the room if it's looking at all the particulars in the room, then when things pop up in the room, there's no field in which to actually contemplate it. Does it does it make sense? There's no field. There's no space in which to contemplate phenomena. It's like little pop-up things all the time, as opposed to what's the overall tone of the mind. Okay? So that's what I'd like you to practice. Now that you've done sensations, we can move on to, and this is a quick course, can move on to Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A, Vedana, which is what's the tone of the mind? What's your song? What are you singing right now? What's the overall singing tone of, of experience? Can you identify it? And you know what? A lot of people can't. And guess what the Buddha said? The Buddha said when he was asked, this happened a number of times. What's enlightenment? The Buddha said, I know the pleasant for the unpleasant. Isn't that amazing? I know, I know the pleasant for the unpleasant. That means I have the discernment of what which is pleasant and that which is unpleasant. Somanasa and domanasa. And you're saying, well, that's pretty simple. So it tells you about the ability to discern or the resolving power. So, so if we just take this last hour and all the different things, the elation, and, you know, basically just say pleasant. That's all. Okay, thank you. But you have to know, which means you are able to discern moment by moment. Let's say not moment, because moments can be very small. Mm -hmm. Okay? Let's say every 30 or 40 milliseconds. Let's be... Let's be fair, okay? Every 30 or 40 milliseconds, pleasant, 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 unpleasant, pleasant, 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 okay, 100 milliseconds. Let's be, let's be, let's be liberal. Let's stretch it. Let's be liberal.
both a positive and a negative atmosphere in the same room? Let me know. Oh. Go find out. Can you have more than one sensory operation at the same time? Is, is neutral just a, a function of lack of resolution? Neutral in this case, I'm not so keen on it. This is, by the way, a wonderful translation, but this is what, one place where I'm not so keen on it. Technically, that word, upeka, means a, has a slightly negative quality which means neutral in walling off. I haven't gotten into that. But up there it's equanimity. No, that's, this, is, this is a different list. This is a completely different list. It has nothing to do with There's two different meanings for Upeka. <laughs> two different meanings for Upeka. There's Upeka, which means as a Brahma Vihara, as, as an abode of the gods, means equanimous equilibrium of mind, uh, non-sticky, non-clinging, uplifted, open, spacious mind. That's a very good quality. This particular upeka is a slight, is a neutral upeka, which has a slight tone of walling off experience. That's what it means. Slightly, neg slightly negative connotation because it's a non-responding. Uh, type of mental field. Yes? But just in that context of can you have both at the same time, I, I, I find where I probably get the most confusing in my life is when there's this thing, uh, I guess the best example would be, you know, I could say, wow, I really like your shirt, right? But it's always standing in the receiver, and you say, wow, I really like your shirt, but I get the sense that you don't like it at all, and you're not necessarily being sarcastic, but you're trying to hide something. That's highly complex. That's highly complex mental processing. That that's right. And um, the thing is, uh, are you discerning going back and forth, or are, you, or are you discerning a fluctuation? So, are you, for instance, are you saying, can you have two experiences simultaneously? Or are they happening very rapidly, one after the other? Is that that yeah, yeah. But they, but they're actually, but but we're not interested in the conflict. We're simply interested in can you discern the rising of one and the passing away of one? And I'll tell you why. Now this is this is where I wanted to get to tonight. So thank you. If you watch the arising of a bird go up and the arising of a bird go down. Or you watch the rise of the belly go up, and the rise of the belly go down. How many times are you going to do that in your life, and what are you going to get out of it? What happens when a leaf falls on the ground? When a leaf falls off a tree and lands on the ground, what has happened? That hasn't happened yet. That's a story. When the leaf falls down and lands on the earth, what happened? It's and it, the leaf fell on the ground and stopped falling. What 
were you doing? Making a story afterwards. There isn't anything else happening but that the leaf fell on the ground. What has happened to the phenomena of falling? It's finished. There's no more falling. It's finished. Do you get it? I haven't finished yet. God forbid if a building falls over and it falls over, what's happened to it? It fell over and it's finished falling over. When a building gets constructed and the, the, the final inspection happens, it gets a building per, it gets a final occupancy permit, what do we say has happened to the building? It's finished. It's done. It's finished. The stamp has been sealed. Done. Now let's take a human being. A sensation happens, and what happens when the sensation finishes? Oh gosh, I got a sensation. It's gone. It's finished. I went through the door. Yeah, you went through the door, but why are you still carrying it? So it's a very, very famous Zen story. It's a beautiful story. Very famous one, okay? You have to picture this. The Zen master and the suit, right? And in the streets of Kyoto, have you been to Kyoto? Yeah, beautiful, huh? Streets of Kyoto, I think it's 14th century, and it's pouring rain, buckets of rain, and the streets are filled with water. And the Zen master and the student, both monks, you have to understand, they're both monks, okay? They're not priests, they're monks. They come up to a corner, and there is a beautiful woman, a geisha, dressed to the hilt with a beautiful kimono, and it's pouring rain. And she's standing in her wooden shoes like this on the edge of the corner, looking around like this. Because what happens when she goes across the street? She'll get soaked, right? So what does the Zen master do? He picks her up and carries her across the street so she won't get a drop of water on her kimono. What do you think the student's doing, the student monk? Oh, my God! What are you? You're breaking every... You're not even allowed to touch a woman. And meanwhile, you're touching a geisha. And you're carrying her in your arms. Meanwhile, he's put her down. And they're walking down the street. And the student monk is still going on. Look what you did. And he says, why are you still carrying her? So the Zen master turns to the student and says, well, why are you still carrying her around? The event has already happened. Now, do you see the point of this exercise? If you have the resolving power and the discerning power, once a sensation arises and it falls, you don't need to do anything about it anymore. It's fallen. It's happened. It's over. It's done. The same for mental feeling. It happened, 
it was noted, and it's finished. What do most people do? They engage their memory and cause a story to erupt, which has nothing to do with reality. But, 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 what if? But, 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 what if? Oh, my God, I've been in the same mental feeling for the last hour. Oh, my God, that, who am I now? That has nothing to do with what's actually taking place. That's a story about a phenomenon. So we make up stories about sensations and mental phenomena all day long. Did you see the way Sue looked this morning? Do you have any idea what Sue is like after she had a cup of coffee and a cup of tea this morning? It's finished. It's done. It's passed. She's not even like that anymore. How much gossip do you think is going on about something that's already occurred but didn't even occur that way and is still being carried around and disseminated as if it's reality? What does a human being do most of the day? It makes up stories about sensations and mental tones and states that have already ceased and carries them around as if they're important. And you know what it does? It kills them. It's like t neurotoxins. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to believe me. That's exactly what it is. It's neurotoxin. Do you want to measure it? Do you want to find out what it is? It's neurotoxin. It's toxifying your, your organism. It's like a toxic soup. You may as well inject drugs. I'm tired all day, last half an hour, last five minutes, last three minutes, last minute, last 30 seconds, last 10 seconds. Gee, I don't know now. Now you're interested. <laughs> so do you see why mindfulness is so important? It's absolutely vital for liberation, otherwise, all of mental experience seems what it isn't. It's a made-up story. There's no resolving power to discern what's really going on. Where's your where are your stories coming from? Where are most of our stories coming from? They're not even yours. And yet you walk around feeling, that's my story. That's my problem. It's not even your problem. It's not even your story. Now, isn't this weird? What would you say about a person that would do such a thing? If you were an alien coming from another planet and landed on Earth and were studying humans who are going, oh my God, my sensation, which happened a half an hour ago, completely gone. What would you say about, or my mental feeling, or my emotions that happened an hour ago, but you're still talking about them internally and externally and saying, God, I'm a real, I'm a real screw. You know? What would you say about such a human if you were like an alien visitor? 
Very weird. And where are the dogs? They're much, they're much more intelligent. Way more intelligent. Where are those dogs we saw earlier? Wouldn't, wouldn't you, if you were like an alien space being coming down and listening to people and going, wouldn't you just go, wow, they're really weird, wouldn't you? Defective. <laughs> Defective. <laughs> Maybe even a little bit delusional and dangerous, wouldn't you? Wouldn't, wouldn't you? Say, I don't know if we really should be on this planet for very much longer because they may just taser us out of, out of uh, you know, for fun. Or shoot us. Or kill us. Stomp us. Due to some defective memory about, you know, alien species they saw in a movie from the 1950s. Right? <laughs> aliens. Aliens from what, a 1950s movie? A 1960s movie? Star Wars? Or are you actually looking at the alien and going, there is an entity before me? Or are all the thoughts you're having and stories aliens running about from a 1950s movie? <laughs> or a 1970s movie, right? Or a 1980s movie? Which one is it? Or is this sounding too weird to be believable? Men in black. <laughs> and and there's, lots of, there's lots of people going around to different people like this. <laughs> you don't remember, do you? You don't... You don't no, I, I don't remember. <laughs> and every, every morning, you may as well get up... Yeah, yesterday was the same as today, yeah. <laughs> you've, seen men, you've all seen Men in Black, I hope. Yeah. No? no? You haven't? No, no. Oh, you, you're in for such a treat. I thought it was a band. Men in Black, Men in Black 1, Men in Black 2, Men in Black 3. Is there Men in Black 4? Not yet, but that's going to be exciting. And, and by the way, if you, if you can't see that, get the video Wayne's World 1 or 2 out, because that's a profound movie. <laughs> and, and if that's not available, I would go after Ghostbusters. You're a quarter of the way to, to enlightenment. Yeah. You know, you've got to have a bit of sense of humor about this. It is absolutely a nutty situation. Wake up and you'll realize it's a nutty situation and requires some humor to see the dilemma that human beings are in and the story they're making about life that has nothing to do with reality. It's a conjuring trick. It's a conjuring trick. It's not actually what's happening. Look around the room. Just take a look around the room. What do you see? You see a room, right? No, you don't. 
You actually don't. You don't see a room. You see little tiny postage stamp pieces of the room and think that you see a room, and right now you're not seeing a room. You're seeing about that much of a room, and all the rest is done in a memory. You want to know how big a conjuring trick it is? And it's not your fault. It's how the nervous system is designed. I look at Alexander, that's how much I see. All the rest is memory. How much of your life are you really seeing and how much is all made up? How much is the, what do they call it? The autobiographical story. So when you say you, anybody a writer here? What is your novel? It's uh, about five chapters so far. Oh, okay. What's it on? You. <laughs> A good part of his life. A good part of his life. Now, let's consider your autobiographical story carrying around. Have you ever studied anybody, any bit of the research on autobiographical stories? Oh, you should. You'll be fascinated. How much of what you are to yourself, the story you tell about yourself, have anything to do with real history? It's very tiny, extremely tiny. And yet, that autobiograph autobiographical history, which is repeated over and over and over, even when you're in your 20s, repeated over like a mantra, over and, like a broken record, over and over again, feels so solid and real. I am. This is who I am. And it's a figment. So little of it's true. You want to know how bad the memory is? It's rotten. It's all, most of it's made up. It's rotten. What did you have for supper last night, Saskia? What did you do last week? What did you do? What did you do last last Friday? Oh. <laughs> How about a year ago? Who were you a year ago? Tell me how clear this is as a recollection. Who were? What were you a year ago? Last summer, where were you? How much can you remember of the summer? Which little parts? Which parts did you pick out and go, that was me? Uh, by the way, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being mean. I'm talking about myself too. The question is, do you believe it as truth or do you know what it is? If you think it's actually real, it's going to really hurt you. It hurts a lot. It's just a story. And it's a story full of holes. <laughs> but it's not a holy story. <laughs> it's a holy terror. It's a holy terror. It terrorizes people. Hmm? It terrorizes people. I hope this is at least logically presented to you. Does it make sense? Yeah. 
And it's, a, it's, a, it's in accord not just with ancient uh, Buddhist uh, meditative tradition, but it's actually, per, it's actually beautifully in accord with modern neurocognitive psychology. The two are bang on. So what happens when you get people spending 56 years of life in retreat studying uh, uh, the body and the mind? They, they get really sharp at it, and they test each other. It's good. They debate. 2,500 years of debating each other. They get good at it. Okay. So you see what you need to do for meditation? You need to go and buy yourself a research microscope, not a little kid's microscope that costs $60 and has plastic lenses. You need to go get a research microscope. Go to a research place and do some research. The resolving power is weak. You have to tune it up. Who here plays a musical instrument? Anybody play a musical instrument? Do you like playing your musical instrument badly out of tune? Doesn't sound very good, does it? But could you imagine if you didn't know any different? Imagine. Imagine. Yeah. Thank God for piano tuners, right? Yeah. It's, an inner, it's a little joke. <laughs> he wouldn't be here if there wasn't a piano tuner in his life. <laughs> he's, a, he's a product of a piano tuner. You're still living. Pardon? Not Okay, so I just wanted to bring you that. So that's the third, that is the third foundation of mindfulness, is what's called Vedana, V-E-D. Is that on the board? Words number two. Sorry, number two. There we go. Wadena. Number second. Sorry, not third. Second, which is uh, usually translated as feelings, but be very careful of the translation feeling. Use the word wadena, because as soon as we say feeling in the Western world, we mean emotion, and it doesn't mean emotion. It means the tone of the atmosphere in which. We experience things of what we call a complex phenomena called emotion. Okay? And we haven't even got there yet. A good Buddhist meditator would tell you, you have no emotion. And lots of people can't stand that. Those darn Buddhists, they hate emotions. Especially males. Always on about objects consciousness. It's the reason being is that when you use the power, resolving power of insight meditation, you find out that emotion is a complex phenomena of other kinds of phenomena that create an illusory sense that we use the word emotion for. It's not a really very good, uh, uh, there's no precision to it. It's not, it's not useful. Because what you do then is you focus on this complex phenomena, which as soon as you focus on it, falls apart into sensation and, and uh, uh, vedana and states of mind. So which one are you picking? 
it's a confused mind. A mind that says I'm having an emotion is really a low resolving power a microscope that's confused about phenomena. It's like not being able to decide in, in your apartment. It's not like not being able to decide whether you're in the bathroom, the living room, or your bedroom. <laughs> I don't know where these come from sometimes. You know? They're very quite spontaneous. I, I, never learned th- I, I never learned that from my teacher, really. But, but that would be like walking around your apartment. You go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, you're, in your, you're in your bathroom, but I'm not sure it's my living room or my bedroom because the resolving power is so low. Oh, yeah, there's a seat there. That must be my living room. And there's a sink there. That must be my kitchen. Yeah, that's, about, that's about what it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's all the same. It's all the same. One room, another room. It's all the same. Oh, maybe I'll get some water out of the well. <laughs> really? It's not how bad it is. You know? It's just a well. I'll get some water out of the well. Must be clean. <laughs> yes. So I think today or yesterday we talked about how you know when you sit and you meditate for a long enough time, you know you'll find yourself with tears streaming down your face and you'll find yourself wrenching and all of this. So. And blissful. Right. And blissful. And blissful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm yeah. 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 <laughs> don't worry about that. Yeah. That's right. And what makes it an emotion would be all the things that we attach to it, even all the stories. That's right. That's right. But you can actually have crying as an experience of something trickling down your face that appears to come from your eyes. What about that agonizing feeling that sometimes comes with the crying? That's another sensation in your body. Where's that sensation? That agonizing that feeling is another sensation usually felt in your heart or some in your belly. And then what other, what other things are happening one after the other? A story. Thoughts. So, we connect the two together yeah. as being one whole called an emotion, when in fact it's a series of sensations that rise and fall and a series of mental events that are attached to it and linked to it by attachment. And when you feel the sensation, what happens to all the sensation when you dig deeply into a sensation? Does even something else? Opens up. Disappears. What happens when you, when you concentrate on an achy foot long enough? It not just moves, the foot vanishes. <laughs> the sensation vanishes. So, yeah, what happens when you concentrate on anything? You see it vanish. And what is that? It's the empty nature of the phenomena which has no lasting, sustaining uh, entityness at all. So that would be just the same power, right? Because I mean, most people are kind of like, everybody's afraid to feel. 
And what you want your patients to do is to feel, is to actually look, go right into it, bore into it in an easeful examination way, just as you do as a doctor on a patient. You have to, right? You have to. And what happens? The sensation changed before your very eyes and was never what you thought it was. So I'll give you a challenge here. Lie in your bed because it's comfortable. Okay? You thought, okay, sit in a rigid posture, upright. No, lie in your bed comfortably and stick out your foot and stare at your foot for an extended period of time and tell me what happens to your foot. Concentrate on the phenomena called a foot and tell, report back after 5, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, what happens to the foot. Maybe after a minute. And yet your, your conditioning will tell you, but my foot is there. And yet you won't even feel it. You might not even see it. <coughs> so what's the lesson in all this? Where's the wisdom? You're saying, now what's the wisdom in all this? Why hold on to something that simply in the physics of the universe and the natural way phenomena is cannot be held on to. Why is the human being making a story about something that certainly isn't? If you travel late, you don't have to check your baggage, you don't have to worry about it getting lost. That's not right. It's not the baggage, it's the clinging. It doesn't matter whether you travel light or you travel with 30 bags. It doesn't matter if you have one house or you have 40 houses. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire or you're impoverished. It doesn't matter whether you're clever or not clever. It doesn't matter at all how many clothes you have or how many shoes. You can have 400 shoes or you can have one pair of shoes. And the being that has 400 shoes may be more impoverished than the person has one pair. It's about clinging. It's not how many bags you have. It's not whether you carry the geisha woman across the road. Is are you clinging? It doesn't matter what you do. It's whether you attach to it, the story. And you act on it. Traveling lightly is not freedom. Traveling with a lot of bags is not freedom. Traveling with the middle way, which is three and a half bags, <laughs> is not freedom. There's no solution to this but non-clinging. None. Emptying, listen, the person that feels cluttered in their mind the first thing they do is they want to clear out their house or their apartment. Make it really clean. Get rid of all the paintings. Change all the furniture. Throw everything out. Clean out the, the, the closets. Right? Simplify. 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 
That doesn't doesn't do anything necessarily at all because the clinging may still be there. The mind is still cluttered. That's the thing that's doing it, is the clutter of the mind, not the clutter of the outer. As Naropa, as Talopa said to, no, as Naropa, as Talopa said to Naropa, it's the clinging, not the phenomena that's a problem. We ascribe the problem to the outer phenomena. It has nothing to do with the outer phenomena. It is the mind that makes up the story and hangs on to the story. Nothing but. And once you know that, and you let go, and you can actually release into the spaciousness of the mind that has no stories, has no position, there's freedom. There's an incredible freedom, like the weight of Mount Everest will come off your shoulders. It's exactly what it feels like. It's like having Mount Everest sitting on your shoulders, and suddenly it's released. The release is extraordinary. One, three and a half billion years of stories. <laughs> Carried around. Like, you know, Atlas? Got the whole, carrying the whole world. Sometimes I look at some of you, and you're carrying the whole world around of stories. Why? Why? You don't need to. then you can carry the whole world of stories with ease. Yes. Just a little bit longer. I see it as being the truth, and yet my mind wants to cling. It just keeps on going back there. I read about this, I listen to you tell me about this, and it goes, yes, I, you know, I recognize that as the truth. Five minutes later, five hours later, five days later, my mind's... Ah, you see, it's, it's Don, right? Yes. I don't have to worry about you. <laughs> I don't have to actually worry about anybody in this room. It's really lovely. You know, I don't have a sleepless night over you. Do you know that? I'm not worried about you in this room. I don't care. Why? Why am I not worried about Don over there? It's done. <laughs> Don is Don. Don is Don. He couldn't help the pun. Pardon? It's just the cold. I'm not done. Yeah, he's not done. No. Actually, I'm quite quite passionate about this. Is I'm not concerned because the very fact that you can make that observation tells me that the why the wisdom part of your mind already knows. It's just that the condition part that's habitual can't integrate it, hasn't done the work, that's all. You recognize it, it's obvious. All, all the people in this room go, it's obvious. It's, it's intellectually obvious, it's feeling-wise obvious, it makes sense, right? And yet, when you go to act on it, it's not there because you haven't done enough of it as an actual practice, as an actual investigation, to bring it until it's ripe. That's all. You're done for. Don, you're done for. Pardon the, pardon the pun. You're done for. It's already happened. 
But if you, the more hours and the more commitment that you put into actually investigating it by practice, by real uh, meditative uh, uh, craft, it will come out. So I don't really need to deal with your neuroses. Do you know that? That's lovely. That dawned on me years ago. I can listen to your stories, here's the answer, and walk on. Why? Because fiddling around with that stuff just fiddles around with it. All I need to do is address the wise part of your being that knows bloody well what the answer is, and I just need to cajole you. Cajole? Cleverly convince. Arm wrestle. Pull you along in a pleasant way till you can get into a long enough retreat and enough retreats with instruction to make it blossom. I don't care about that other stuff. I could wrestle with your neuroses and your stories the rest of my life. I'm speaking to the wise part of your being that already knows the answer is why you're here. You already know. I just need to be patient enough and keep telling you what the answer is until you go do the work. <laughs> That's really it. <laughs> That's really it. I just present to you the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Buddha, I trot it out. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Right? Until you go and get, go down and do some work. And then you do it again. And you do it again. You go to, until you go, holy gosh. This is for real. And it's operational in my being. And you experience freedom. I wish that was that easy. You have to do the work. But you already know the answer because you're actually here listening. And you've read lots. You've heard lots. And it sounds right. And it is right. It's been practiced for thousands of years and thousands, hundreds of thousands of beings have become liberated. Most of them you never hear about. They're the little old grannies. The little the guys hidden in some place that I've met them, some of them. You know, you go to a teaching of Dalai Lama in Ladakh and they come out of the wilds. They're beautiful beings. They're about this high. And they're sitting in a cave for years, you know. And they're beautific. Absolutely beautific beings. They're no-namers. There's, there's even retreat centers filled with them in Ladakh and in Tibet, in India. I get to meet some of them. They're great. You know, say, you should really go meet some of them. They're amazing beings. Beautiful beings who are accomplished beings sitting there teaching one or two people. Maybe in a little small community of nuns. Beautiful, accomplished beings that have utter confidence and freedom. You'll never hear about them. They don't go around and teach, and they don't write books, and they don't go on podcasts, and you can't download them on YouTube. You'll never know their name. But some of them are actually the teachers of the ones on the YouTube videos. They don't come out and play. They come out and they go teach. They're teaching those that come and see them. I think that's plenty for tonight. Little introduction into Wadena. These, these 
are fleeting states of mind, which we're going to come to tomorrow. Okay? These are the chittas. These are the states of mind that rise and fall like this. Just fleeting. Fleeting little states that you congregate together and make into one large mass and call it joy, when in fact there can be 500 different arisings of states happening right, within 30 seconds, but the resolving power only gives it one name. I'm sad. I like that. Somebody's just standing up. I'm sad. And you look at yeah, but you don't look sad. <laughs> or, yeah, you do look terrible, actually. You don't look sad. You look seriously debilitated. <laughs> wrong. Got it wrong. You're, actually, you're on death's doorstep. Yes. Um, when you were saying about Vedana. 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 But sometimes pleasant, 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 interruption. Pleasant, 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 interruption. So when you've, when you've actually complete, if you've established a good foundation in the first one, which is kaya nupasana, recollection of body, of the body, you now have a good basis for remaining in a pleasant uh, effervescent state of awareness. But it will get interrupted. It's in the interruption where you can spot now the neutral consciousness or the sort of the neutral tone or the unpleasant tone. And it might go unpleasant, 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 and then you spot it and it vanishes. Or unpleasant, 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 pleasant, unpleasant, unpleasant, and you realize it's, it's constantly changing. But no, it doesn't normally doesn't normally go pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, unpleasant. It doesn't do that. So is, is that kind of like between like where the spaces are? Is that that's actually where the spaces are? Don't it's a secret, so don't let What's happening in between those moments? Do you have the resolving power to see what's happening in those moments? When the leaf falls on the ground, what has happened? Does the leaf get back up and float back up the same way to the branch? What happens when the mind lets go of the phenomena? Does a leaf does the next leaf have to fall? Try this. You want a really profound, beautiful med meditation of both tranquility and insight? Sit in front of a tree for hours that's dropping its leaves. This is a real classic one. It's beautiful, by the way. It can move you very, very quickly to wisdom. Just place yourself in a nice, comfortable chair. It doesn't have to be cross-legged. And just... Observe for days, leaves falling and landing. And you'll get it, eventually. 
when the leaf lands, it's finished. When the thought's finished, what happens? Another one comes along. Does it? Okay, question for you. Here's your investigation. Another investigation tonight. When one thought ends, is it immediately followed by another thought? Don't you know the answer? When one thought ends, does another thought immediately begin? Well, if it's not necessarily, then what is there? If there's not a thought... What's there? This. Clear. Crystal. Clear space. So what would happen if you spent some time in that space and opened that up instead of thoughts, rambling thoughts? Get to know it. Okay, this is where I'll end. Try this. I'm going to give you a metaphor, but try it on your own consciousness. When you walk into this room, what is the first thing that you look at and investigate when you walk into a room like this? Just imagine. Open the door and walk in. What is it that you see and what is it that you process? Do anyone want to be a demonstrator? Would like someone to come in. Thank you, Anita. Go out and come back in and tell me what is the first thing that you notice when you come in the room? Thank you. What's missing? What's the major feature of the room? Space. Is the space disturbed in any way? <laughs> really? They're not, I don't think they're very disturbing. So what do we do automatically? We look and we catalog and we process the objects in the room but the majority of the room is a spacious clarity, undisturbed, open, spacious clarity. And we never notice that. It's going, oh my God, there's people. Look at those people. Oh, there is Helen. There's Tom. There's Harry. There's Henrietta. And process, 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 process. Safe, not safe. Comfortable, uncomfortable. Yes? But what's, what's this room? A body of light. A spacious body of light with windows and right? And what gets processed? People. Safe. But isn't that a survival shelter? Yeah. So what? I, it just seems to me that everything that we talk about, like all that shit and everything, is all to do with survival. Your defense system. You're a threat. You're not a threat. You're okay. Don't look at me like that. 
<laughs> she can't take the intensity. I was smiling, yeah. Rafa was smiling. That's what you've been told. That's what you've been convinced is your survival. No. Doesn't it like me walking in also sort of um, have like a, a quick sort of caliber of the space of the room and the space of yourself? That's already been done. That's done within a fraction of a second. And you're not doing you're not aware of that. It's already done, just like that. As soon as you think of a non-defensive mode, it's also an illusion. As soon as you think, it's an illusion. <laughs> as soon as you non-think, it's an illusion too. We'll get to that. That's that's number that's number uh, uh, four. Okay. So is that plenty for tonight? What else is there to do? Gossip, drink, eat. Yeah, we could. We could go and drink. Should we go to a pub now? <laughs> Throw the whole entire discourse down the drain? Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. It's a joy. Oh, that's, why, that's why I'm really speaking to the, the, the part of you that already knows this. See, when you come in the room, you've already taken in the room. It's not aware of it. When you come to a Dharma discourse, you've already taken in the Dharma discourse. You're now just looking for positive reinforcement. That's what it is. So I'm there to give it to you. I'm just there to give it to you. It's just clear and logical to this being. So just repeat it over and over and over again in 100,000 different ways until the, the moment dawns. And you go, oh my God, of course, the penny drops. I'm just waiting for the penny to drop. And then when the penny drops, then we have to nourish the penny until the penny shines and shines for all beings with confidence. And that takes time. And the things that people get up to, meanwhile that's happened, is quite something. Conditioning has a way of catching up at times. It can swamp you. The most, br- the most brilliant beings, and actually even liberated beings, can get, can get hit very hard by, by previous conditioning. It's not cleared. Hmm? But their equanimity in the face of that can be uh, amazing, beautiful. Life, life can be challenging. Hmm? Life can be challenging. Do you think that we're more challenged here in the West because the conditioning has not... <laughs> oh, go, go, go to the East and <laughs> have the blind... Yeah. Yes, yes and no. In the sense of you have uh, wonderful education, you have wonderful health opportunities, you've got all kinds of positive things going for you. Um, but at the same time, a world of views and distractions. And the being in Ladakh it can be full of superstition, um, full of uh, <laughs> uh, parasites, um, no, and, and, other, and other difficulties. 
uh, and, and actually may be suffering from diabetes and can't get help for that, and uh, maybe an eye disease that they can't get assistance for that, and um, have all kinds of uh, black magic going on, having to defend themselves against black magic, and all kinds of things that we don't even have to deal with in a very complex society too. So, or not even access to education, or not even access to support, or discriminated against because of being a woman, or having an eye disease, or a, a, a hair lip, something like that, and you're considered an outcast. All, all kinds of stuff. So yeah. Wonderful opportunities in the West, at the same time plagued by, by certain difficulties. Yeah, if you can hear it, if you can hear it, sure, sure. Okay, plenty for this evening, and uh, see you tomorrow at uh, 9.30, I believe. We'll have more adventures. <laughs> uh, let's share the merits. Let's share the strength of the work that we've done together by this powerful activity, this punyakama. Uh, may it lead to the cessation of the uh, effective floods for all beings. Idande punikamang asawaki wahang hodu, idande punikamang asawaki wahang hodu, idande punikamang asawaki wahang hodu. Sabe satasudahantu, may all beings be well and happy, may all beings be established in a continuity of freedom, the perfect unity of wisdom and compassion. Many blessings, many blessings, many blessings. Oh, you're a fun group. <laughs>